Yeah, I was on the north side. I was tryna get it right. At my mama's house, problems kept me up at night. Guys, tryna free my mind. Yo, peace. Uh, this is Scholar Chips, and my name is Tone. I go by Tone.Games on Instagram, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Larry Alexander. I go by That's Law on Instagram and Twitter. We created this pod for people that are trying to balance the duality um, of, of being professional and being, you know, you fill in the blank of whatever, you know, because mm -hmm. it's hard trying to figure out, like, who you, where you stand or where you belong in this society or in this world. I, most of my life, I've I struggle with the sense of belonging to a certain demographic mm -hmm. or society, you know, just because I I was always like the smart kid at the hood school, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Or like the black kid around the white kids at, at another day, you know, and it, it kind of, uh, it always stuck with me that I can, I can be both people, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? So, you know, to me, scholarships is for those of us who are trying to find a sense of belonging and understanding uh, that you belong this entire time. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the thing. It's like, you're right we're trying to figure it out even like to this day like yes we can take pride in, in how far we've made it like you're a fourth year associate i'm mm -hmm. essentially a sixth year associate um and it's like we had no blueprint to get to this point so we could definitely take pride in where we're at and, and be happy but at the same time it's like there's so much runway left there's so much more to do there's so much uh there's so many more ways to impact change and so um, i feel like we're just getting started yeah yeah no this is definitely just a start and i think that's why we kind of wanted to take time like to let people know like we exist right because mm -hmm. i think the hardest part in life is you know being able to touch like if i could like you said if you 16 and you knew a lawyer mm -hmm. or somebody like a black lawyer that kind of could get you there or someone that could just keep it real like i think the hardest part in this in this in our profession is that there's this idea of a lawyer, especially a back, black lawyer, right? Like you have to, even if you're a lawyer, you have to act a certain way. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Talk a certain way, be a certain way. And that's not, and that's, that's not the case at all. We're, you know, obviously we're not a monolith. And, and I think um, the black experience can vary. Mm -hmm. And so um, you're right. Like when I, I used to think in corporate America that I had to show up and be like the person that like explained things for the, for the, for the whole black race okay. or something or, or, <laughs> represented the whole black race. And if I um, if I failed on the assignment or if I got a bad performance review, then I was letting everybody down. And it's like, no, I, like, yes, part of that might be true, unfortunately, but like, I'm only one person. I'm only one perspective. Yeah, so yeah. to group us all together is, is unfair. Well, what do you what do you think? I know I gave my little spiel about scholarships, but what, what do you want people to get from this podcast? Like, what, what does scholarships mean to you? Honestly, um, I just think growing up, especially in Milwaukee, everybody thinks you got a hoop or rap to be successful. That's it, or, or sell drugs. Or yeah, exactly. And for me, it's like, no, you can do your homework. You can go to class. The things that they used to make fun of me for, right? Like raising my hand, answering questions. You can do those things consistently and you can end up making over six figures. No, it's a, it's a hard sell when you, you're telling the kid from the hood who you know doesn't have food or doesn't have whatever you know wants to wants the new jays but they can't their parents can't afford them it's hard telling them like you know in 10 years you can have you can make six figures mm -hmm. you can figure mm -hmm. it out if you just do homework mm -hmm. and you you know you you kind of assert yourself in the same in the right situation i mean i get it like on instagram you see the dunks you see the layups you see the rappers with, with the chains and all that stuff and it's cool it's appealing like they're selling a lifestyle so part of this too is like we got to figure out how to show people it's cool to be smart it's cool to go to 
uh, corporate America every day and punch a clock. Like, like that's okay. It's okay to to cultivate skills in a corporate setting. You know, yeah. like, um, so yeah, yeah. Like, did you and and just to speak like you, you, I remember you said uh, you always wanted to be like somewhat of an agent or like lawyer esque or yeah. So like, honestly, I, I don't. I forget which age I decided that I wanted to be an attorney, but yeah. I watched uh, this movie called Jerry Maguire. Uh, and Tom Cruise was in there representing like Cuba Gooding. Show me the money. Show me the money scene. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like what I didn't realize is that you don't have to be a lawyer to be an agent. I, I didn't realize that until I was you know later in life. But that's what I think that's what showed me about just like client advocacy and, and representing mm-hmm. people. And I think um, that sort of planted the seed of okay, I actually want clients and I want to serve people. And, and so. Um, I think that movie was instrumental, uh, as funny as it sounds, and and me actually pursuing the law profession. Yeah, and I think I think yeah, at times I lose sight of, uh, you know, being a lawyer and just like like bro, like the our billables and like how much our rate is is kind of, it's kind of wild. You know what I'm saying? How much we we charge, and I think um, I had to get out of the idea that. Um, that I'm not of service, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, our clients are, um, you know, big companies like like one, Fortune 100 companies, Fortune 500, whatever. Well, what I'll say, what I'll say to that is, yes, like my my day job is me just advising a Fortune 100 company on like the real estate portfolio, mm-hmm. essentially. But I'm also a guy from Milwaukee that's in these corporate rooms when things are being discussed about how to effectuate change and. I've always thought change can really be uh, most impactful for the private sector. You know, when we're gathering to look at how we can ch- make change in Milwaukee, I'm in that room. Mm-hmm. So, so I feel like that is me playing a part. Is me providing that perspective of where I've come from yeah. and where, because um, that that doesn't resonate with them. No, I, I girl, I think the the one thing I hate, or I, I hate when people say is like, you know, don't go to law school. I think that's so uh, unfortunate because people have had bad experiences or they're still paying off loans. But I think when you say it's to someone black, like there's a lot of legislation and policies that require lawyers that require people like us that mm-hmm. have gone through like things that are from like, you know, these hoods or whatever mm-hmm. that need to be in those rooms. Cause mm-hmm. I think being in the room, you kind of, you can't be ignored, especially if you're the only black person, right? Like you, of course you could not speak up when you want, but if you're there, you're, 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 you deserve to be there one but two like you if we don't have the lawyers that we that we you know require there's no way mm-hmm. that we'll ever get to those rooms you, you know what i'm saying you gotta you gotta take advice with a grain of salt like you know i'm always you know listening with an open ear mm-hmm. um to what people have to say because i do think you can find perspective on what they have to say but at the same time you've got to have a, a deep understanding of who you are and where you want to go and block out all the other shit sometimes. Okay. Yeah, and, it, and that's hard. I think it's hard. Like I said, kids, especially today, right? Like, they're very impressionable. Mm-hmm. They, they uh, it, it's hard to, like, take kids away from their phones or their iPhone or iPads or whatever. Not to say that, you know, it's, it's something wrong with that, but it, it is, like, if you're seeing, all you see is the highlight reel of everybody's life. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody, ain't no cool lawyers like that. I feel like once we actually became attorneys or i speak for myself you then fall into this trap of like trying to fit in or, or be like everyone else and then um if you're not that the imposter syndrome uh starts creeping in and so the earlier you can figure out that whoever you show up as is fine like be yourself uh the better 
No, it, and I think the idea of imposter syndrome never goes away, right? Like, but it is something you get better with. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. you can, you kind of know where it's coming from when you, like, for instance, I'll send an email and I, I'll say the wrong name or I'll send send it to the wrong person, bro. My mind goes crazy. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh my god, they probably think I'm an idiot. Blah mm-hmm. blah blah. Like how. To, Lawyers are supposed to be, you know, diligent and they're supposed to never make mistakes, never right? make yeah, mistakes, exactly. bro. And it's, it's just so it's such a flawed system because it's the only profession I can think of. And I'm, I'm OK with being corrected, but it's the only one that I know where you're graded, quote unquote, in every turn of every document. Mm-hmm. Where, like, for instance, on the deal, I'll be, uh, you know, I'll, I'm, a, I'm a junior. I'm more of a mid-level now, but when I was a junior, I was sent to the mid-level. The mid-level would then you know, give me his or her comments. And then I, I would send it back. Then they send their comments to the partner, the partner or senior associate, and the part, then they send it to the <laughs> partner and then the partner, you know, whatever, sends it to opposing counsel and then mm-hmm. opposing counsel gets comments. And it's just one of those things where like, you're always graded and it kind of, it kind of makes you build a tolerance for like imperfection. Mm-hmm. Like, cause it's never going to be great, right? Like if we, if you give one document to a hundred lawyers, they're going to have a thousand. Comments. That's what I was going to say. That, that, <laughs> that's what kind of bothers me about that though. Cause a lot of times now, every now and then you, you'll see a comment and you're like, okay, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. But sometimes you're just like, bro, you do not need to change that. And, and, and that's the one that like, now I'm glad I have the autonomy to run with all my deals. Like I don't have a partner over my shoulder checking my language. Like, yeah. It's just me versus opposing counsel. Yeah, bro. Cause I, I mean, one, one disclaimer or another disclaimer. Lawyers are exhausting bro, mm-hmm. to deal with. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because I think they're all A-type. They're all like confident, even if they're faking it. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of smart. I don't know if they're all smart, but you know, because there are there are variations in the law and like who's equipped with what. You know, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people are just winging it for the check. Yeah, I think there's people that are smart, but there are also people that just experience, right? Oh, so, yeah. So over yeah. time and exposure, a lot of people can figure it out. Like, none of this is rocket science. Yeah, it isn't. It isn't. I mean, by the end of the day, a lot of lawyers have a form that, mm-hmm. you know, applies to every situation. I think I didn't <laughs> know that at first. Because in college, they teach you, like, yo, don't plagiarize and don't do this. You become a lawyer and they're like, yo, and, plagiarize. And, yeah. Yo, do that. Like, you know what I'm saying? No, you're never supposed to reinvent the wheel. No, world, right? hell yeah. no. And, and it's just... It's crazy because, like I said, I wouldn't know this um, if I if I if I wasn't a practicing attorney. But it it is one of those things where I'm like, oh, so I I'm just supposed to copy this and just change these parties and change these things yeah. and like you know it kind of you get used to this, especially in corporate, right? Like you get used to the same documents and it's it, like I said, they can get boring. I like writing a lot, so mm-hmm. I don't mind it. But it is one of those things where I'm just like. Bro, I wish I would have known this. Yeah, you know so you're working from a lot of templates and forms, and yeah. you're uh, a lot of times you're negotiating the same stuff with opposing parties because a lot of them have the same issues, you know. So yeah, I think you know one one thing that I I did want to talk about is the idea of uh, you know betting on yourself. I think a lot of times, like I said, it's hard to to get that kid from the hood to to do that, and it is it's big to you know, bet on yourself and just say like, cause we had to do that early, right? Mm-hmm. Like we knew when we went to college, that was one thing. And then going to law school, it's like that's seven years mm-hmm. of just like education, you know? So betting on yourself is so important. You know, uh, I'm reading the Will Smith book right now. Yeah. He's got this great book, this quote in there. It says, it's very short. It's to the point. It says, uh, the joy of being right about me. Mm. 
And so when you ask what does betting on yourself mean, it means being right about you. Yeah. That's that's what it means to me. Like, I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. Um, and I'm very self-aware. And so whenever I enter any situation, um, just being right about me is what betting on myself means. Bro, self-awareness is so important. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like, knowing mm-hmm. that, like, like I said, I think for, for me, I remember uh, just self-awareness part. I remember when I was outside playing basketball. Because I would, like I said, like you said, Everybody wants to play basketball mm-hmm. in some capacity, mm-hmm. right? So I remember I was outside and I was like, oh, I'm going to outwork everybody. I'm going to, you know what I'm saying, do everything I can, bro. Like, they, I'm, I'm going to spend my time. Um, I didn't have access to a gym, so I was outside in the cold shooting the basketball. And the ball kept going into the snow, bro. I was just, I got to a point where I'm like, bro, I got to get the ball, wipe it off. It's cold. I'm the only one out here looking like a nut. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was a crazy dude. <laughs> Like, it gets cold in, in, in Milwaukee, bro. So, like, who's this guy out there shooting? Not, and I think after, like, 30 minutes of doing it, I was just like, yo, this, this ain't yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. I think if I didn't know that, you'll probably see me somewhere overseas trying to make it work and mm-hmm. do something. But I think self-awareness is key, you know. But, like, what what is a what is the story that you could think of? Because I, I think the, the quote is great. But, like, what's what's one time you could think of that you really bet on yourself? I mean, really, my whole life I've been betting on myself. But, um to answer your question more directly, it's like the decision for me um, to go straight from law school to work in, in house at a Fortune 100 company was definitely me betting on myself. Uh, and here's why. I think, as you know, but I'll, I'll obviously repeat it for our listeners, um, the typical path of a law student is you obviously do your three years of law school and then you're supposed to, most people, uh, either go look for like a federal clerkship work for a judge mm-hmm. um, or go to a law firm, whatever, you know, whatever you qualify for, whether yeah, it's a small law, firm, big, big law, whatever. Um, and the idea is you're, that's where you're supposed to get like your bread and butter training. That's like what people say to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, like I knew that wasn't the path for me, just based on what I heard, based on what the life sounded like. I knew that wasn't for me. Um, so for me, I, I really based my decision on my core values, my which a couple are like, you know, work-life balance, um, autonomy, um, you know, not losing sight of what's important to me. Um, mm-hmm. And so the decision for me really was, all right, I interned at this company um, as a 2L, um, really got a good sense of the people there, the work. Um, and what was appealing really was that it was sophisticated work in a, in a corporate setting. I was getting a line of sight to what... Um, how my sort of work as an attorney would impact the business side. Yeah. Um, and all that really just showed me like, this is actually like a good place for me. And like when they offered me, the boss was like, Hey, I got a plan for your training. Like, you know, she had been, she had ran uh, the, the, you know, summer associate program at her law firm. Mm-hmm. And so she literally sat down with me with like a three page document saying, all right, you're going to be a commercial real estate attorney here at this company. And these are all things you want to know. And if you're in a firm, the first year, this is what you'd be doing. Second year, this is what you'd be doing. Mm. She's like, we're going to run it just like that. She's like, so so my lesson in that really was sometimes you can't listen to what people say about what the right path is. I think the right path is um, whatever you decide it is, whatever makes sense for you. So for me, the right path for, for me was saying, you know what? I know people are saying you're supposed to go from law school to a big law firm because that's what people tell you. But for me, it's like, I'm going to go somewhere that aligns with my core values and also somewhere where I can get the training that I need. And so I bet on myself making the decision because I knew if it didn't work, it was going to be real hard for me, <laughs> real hard for me to go to another firm yeah, or yeah. whatever else because they was going to look at me 
sideways, to be honest. Yeah, but the, could you could you explain like because it's actually difficult, at least my understanding, to go from law school to to in house. So so like you you graduate in law school and you have no idea how to be an attorney. Yeah, and and, and most it's crazy as that sounds, it's most, very true. Most and most corporations are not set up to train you. So most of the time, they're hiring people from big law firms that have been doing it for seven, eight years, mm-hmm. eight, nine years, because mm-hmm. they, they've already hit the ground running. They know exactly how to, how to, they might have to learn what the company's about and things like that, but they know their bread and butter of how to be an attorney. So a lot of people, even when they found out that the company had hired me full time, <laughs> they were just like, this is a mistake. Like, we don't do this. We don't train law students. Like, yeah. he needs to go to a firm to figure this out. Um, so yeah, like you're you're right. Like people were definitely like, this is not gonna work, and and I definitely had a little bit of doubt and, and a little bit of anxiety about it. One, am I making a mistake in terms of am I pigeonholing myself? Like am I am I putting myself in a box by not sort of following the traditional pedigree of what people think you're supposed to be, right? Um, and then also, what if I don't like it at all? Where can I where can I bounce back from yeah. this? Like if I if I go in there and the work is too hard because everybody else is used to Everybody else has been practicing law for seven, eight, nine years. So if I go in there and the work is too hard and I'm only a first year associate from practicing zero. Yeah, years. like how much patience, how much rope are they gonna give me? Yeah. Are they gonna fire me? Then what am I gonna do? Yeah. You know, like like so all that stuff was running through my mind. At the end of the day, though, like I said, it was a unique situation for me because they had built out a training program for me. The people on my team worked at y'all like pedigree, they worked at all the biggest firms you could think of across the across the world. So I knew like Training is just you working with people smarter than you that have done it before. I was getting training, you know. So um, I'm rambling now, but that that you know that was that was that was that was right on. That was really it. Like I bet on myself by saying, you know what, I know this isn't the traditional path, but this is the path that makes sense for me. This corporation really operates more like a mid-sized law firm. They have training for me. The culture is good. The work is sophisticated. I know they're not just like babysitting outside counsel, which is the stereotype of in-house attorneys. Um, but I knew what the situation was for me and it made sense. Yeah. I, I think I'll, I'll jump in and just, you know, for me, betting on yourself means, means that you believe in your, you see something in yourself that no one else can see. And I think I had to do that my whole life, but like, you know, definitely by the time I graduated from Marquette, cause I think at the time I had this idea that like, I wanted to, I know I wanted to make money and I know I wanted to like, have that kind of power mm-hmm. right because i was a poli sci major and the reason i chose poli sci was basically because i love that politicians kind of get up and they they advocate for their constituents you know right or wrong or you know we can talk about politics some other time but like you know i enjoyed that they advocated and they kind of were able to serve um for serve people um but my initial uh interest in law came from when my brother was killed uh he was 15 years old um, so my family structure, like my mom had four kids. I'm the first of her four. And then my dad had three kids that he, um, he made well stepkids, right? Like my brothers, mm-hmm. half brothers um, that he had when he met my mom. And then we had like four kids who my dad used to date this lady back in high school. And the dad kind of just dipped out. And um, my dad was like, well, you know, they seem like good kids. I'll, I'll help raise them. I mean, you couldn't tell me like those were my brothers because mm-hmm. um, we at one point there was like 10 kids in our house. Um, so it was always packed, always, you know, no, no leftovers in the crib. But um, yeah, my brother was killed, unfortunately, 
in 2008. Um, he was he was my only real quote unquote real brother. Um, he was walking home from basketball practice, and uh, you know someone just started shooting. He was with my cousin at the time, and uh, yeah, he got hit. And it was the first time one. It was the first time. It was the first time I experienced death, but it was it was so um, normal where I was coming from. Like I really grew up thinking that people just lost people. Like I thought that everyone had someone that was in jail or someone that got killed or something like that. But I didn't think it was unique. Mm -hmm. um, but it did shape me because um, one, it, it's one thing to see someone take their last breath. That just that just you know I don't know I don't know if anyone is. Well, I know people have, but like to see it in real life, it's just something different. Um, my, uh, my brother, like I said, he died January 18th, 2008. At the time, he was 15 and he had a kid on the way. Yeah, he had a kid on the way. Um, and my nephew was born January 28th. And so 10 days after. So he never got a chance to meet his dad. Um, and I'm probably the only like father figure he knows. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that I realized like, y'all have to be great. You know what I'm saying? I have to be something more than I ever thought I would be. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so I was like, I, you know, I knew that was going to happen. And then uh, we started like the investigation. Um, and I think that's what kind of the DA part really started because my mom used to call the police officers all the time, like every day. And they just got annoyed with her and they were just like, yo, stop calling us. Like nothing has changed. Like you're making our job more difficult or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that got, that bothered me because I'm like, yo, how can you tell a mom who just lost her son that they're annoying? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I always felt like, oh, if I was a lawyer, you know what I'm saying? They wouldn't, they wouldn't talk to me like this. They yeah. would, it would be a lot of more respect. And if I was a DA, one, they would respect me more. Um, the cops would, I would know things and I could like, have vengeance on like anybody that ever killed someone like i would i remember just being angry and just like mm -hmm. wanting to uh like go at whoever you know what i'm saying whoever killed someone because i it felt felt that I mean, it's a natural coping mechanism you, yeah. lost your, you lost your brother yeah so i was like i was like i'm definitely gonna be a da i think you know like i said going through that i was very angry and that's kind of, that's actually why i transferred from carroll university to marquette because after that happened um you know it 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 made me want to be closer to my family um because i i remember like i wasn't honestly i wasn't as close with my brother during the times that he passed like during that time right before he passed just because he was kind of on his i don't know he was like out here like he was a, not a bad kid but like he was very <laughs> misunderstood and he was just hanging around the wrong people and i was hanging around like brandon and you know people like you mm -hmm. who were kind of just driven to you know go to college that just shows you like just how different you are though. like from from day one like yeah like you know tragedy strikes your brother dies you didn't say you went to go find a gun and kill everybody yeah, that, yeah. That, that was involved i, I you, i've you, never you i've said, never been that yeah. yeah you said like i'm gonna figure out how to be a da and throw everybody in jail yeah like like, like so that just shows you right then you already had it in you like true i never thought about it that way it's true i think because i've never bro, i never was a fighter but mm -hmm. i never was a violent person you mm -hmm. know what i'm saying I, and i never will be so like if i had grabbed a gun like all of my like i said all my brothers are pretty hood they would have looked at me crazy mm -hmm. like yo what are you doing mm -hmm. um but yeah that was the that was my initial 
interest in going to law school. And then I remember, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say like two years later, I had like another, my cousin actually got killed. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of gun violence. Like he was walking home from, uh, I forget where he was walking home from, but he was, no, he was walking from his mom's house to to mine. My mom's a twin. So we kind of grew up like, I don't know, pretty close with our, like my Mm -hmm. aunt's kids. Um, So he used to go to our house all the time. He was walking home and uh, he basically he was uh, he got he was about to get robbed by his two brothers. And uh, they say he like pushed him Mm -hmm. or something, which doesn't make sense to me. But um, they say like he uh, they pull up on a bus stop, pulls out his gun like, yo, run me yours or whatever. And my cousin pushed him and then the gun went off. I think that's something you just save face for. Like, yeah. you just, you know, you're just trying to get like Absolutely. second degree or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the gun went off and he uh, ended up dying. Like, what, well, like a bus driver was came into the bus stop. So he was pleading and he called the cops. He didn't make it. Um, that was two years later. And, you know, at that point, I was kind of okay. Not okay with death, but I, I knew how to handle it. Mm-hmm. You know, because when I dealt with my brothers, it was more being the fact that I was the number one kid my parents leaned on me a lot to like figure shit out. Mm-hmm. Like I, I coordinated the funeral. I coordinated, like, should we give away his, his organs, things like that. So they leaned on me. So the second time I kind of just like dealt with it mm-hmm. in a, in a better way. How would you deal with like death now, like in the, in the workplace? And the reason I'm asking is like, we're obviously living during the pandemic mm-hmm. and, and shit is happening to people all over the place. Um, people are dying. Uh, but yet you're still expected to deliver. Yeah. Right. And so like, how do you think you would handle death in, in, in this new era? I think, I mean, I, I think I would handle it just as I did um, when my brother passed. So he, like I said, he, he got killed on the 18th and uh, I, so that was the 18th. I think that was Friday 19th. I was with my family Sunday. I was driving back to Carroll. I think the one thing I realized at that point is that the world didn't stop. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I knew like I, I could, I knew that like, you know, everyone was expecting me to be in class and things mm-hmm. like that. Cause they didn't know, right. Like, it's mm-hmm. not like I just sent an email out to every professor, mm-hmm. but it, it was like this idea that the world did not stop for me. Like work was still due. Um, rent was still needing to be paid. And I think it made me realize the, 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 how precious life is mm-hmm. and how you always have to be working. You know, mm-hmm. you always have to live, you know, very, intentionally mm-hmm. you know like you got to let people know like y'all care for you i'm this you know this how i feel whatever um because you never know what's going to happen so i think today i would i would deal with it the exact same because i kind of i'm not i'm not equipped to like slowing down mm-hmm. you know because i know how it can end i don't think you ever get over death i think mm-hmm. it's something that you always get better with coping with you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying there'll be random times bro where like I, i'll hear a song or something like, and, and I'll just start crying because of my brother, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Where it's just like, or I'll meet somebody or, or I'll see like two brothers that are like, like kicking it at, at, a, at mm-hmm. a bar. And I'm just like, damn, man, I, if only I had that, you know, it's like a, a, some jealous part of me where I'm just like, I wish I could like talk to my brother. Cause it's, he, he looked just like me, right? Mm-hmm. Like I got a tattoo. Yep. On <laughs> and everybody, everyone, when I first got it, everybody was like, why do you have a tattoo of yourself? And I was just like, <laughs> you know, it's not, then it's awkward. Cause I'm like, Oh, actually that's my brother. He got killed. And they're mm-hmm. like, Oh, uh, sorry. Right. Yeah, 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 <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But it was, it is one of those things where I think death is 
it, it, it shapes you, bro. It, it, it changes you more than you'll expect. And that's something that I had to go through with therapy. You're right. I saw like a, a picture on Instagram. It was like, you don't, your grief doesn't shrink. Like mm-hmm. you grow around your grief. Like, oh, that's a great the size of the grief is the yeah. same. Just yeah. you grow as, as, as time goes. So yeah. I think everything you're saying is spot on. Yeah, bro. I mean, you see, like I said, seeing somebody take their last breath, bro, it changed, it changed me, bro. Like it changed me more than I'll ever know. And, you know, I think I was, I was, like I said, I, at first I was very angry, but I think what, by the time I graduated college, that anger subsided somewhat. Because mm-hmm. I realized, like, yo, if I became a DA, I would be so biased and I would be locking up black people, white, like I'd be so angry. I wouldn't care. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't even be thinking straight, honestly. Um, and I think by that time I, I realized like I, I would do more harm to my community if I had became a DA. So um, I still want to go to law school. Cause like I said, I do love that I can walk in a room, bro. And I just get respect to you. Like that to me, respect is everything, right? Like, Walking it like that Notre Dame stamp mm-hmm. is something that I I chose because I knew like yo, if I can get in here, I'll be straight. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I think you know, betting on yourself is understanding your circumstances and believing that they are not permanent. Right? Mm-hmm. Nobody was nobody's gonna hold you accountable for your dreams besides you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So if if you're like, if I had quit college at that time. I guarantee my mom would be like, I get it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I understand because she was grieving too. Mm-hmm. So like, nobody would have helped. Nobody would have, like, not, they would have cared, but nobody would have held me accountable. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I know I know people in my family, uh, I know friends who have lost like, you know, grandparents and just been distraught, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's not, I, I think you should never get in the business of comparing tragedy. I think that's, a, that's the worst thing in life you could ever do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it goes to show like things just hit different for certain people. Mm-hmm. I just reacted in a way where I knew if I, I had to go all out, bro. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go all out on me in every, every way. You know what I'm saying? Like I was going to, that's why I was so hungry when I was applying to different jobs or like applying to different law schools. So I didn't give a damn, like, yo, worst case scenario, I'll go back to where my parents live. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my worst case. And if they made me, I can make it me, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And I have more, mm-hmm. I, went, I went to college, you yep. know? Mm-hmm. So I think betting on yourself is just the idea that you can always be better, bro. It's, it's something that you can always do and no one else can judge because it's you piloting that that flight. Our stories don't necessarily define us, they make us who we are. You know, it's just getting started. Like this is chapter, you know, whatever. And I think, you know, we're, we still are writing our books, but hopefully y'all are willing to join us on this journey. Yeah.